Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Well, I'm glad that everyone has joined us today for uh, another edition of our online worship here for April 19th, the Sunday after Easter. I want to begin by thanking everybody who's been participating. As you've noticed, if you've been watching recent weeks, uh, this week we've gone back to what is for us a bit more of a normal format, which is having many people involved doing a variety of things, whether it's Bobby Bell doing the opening, Renee uh, leading our worship, uh, Jim Lenahan providing keyboards on one of the songs, uh, Lisa Geel leading our missions prayer, Greg uh, leading us in prayer at the conclusion of the singing, and Dave and Karen uh, doing the prayer for the kids. We're really glad to have everybody involved, and I hope it's encouraging you just to see your brothers and sisters together. Well, this week for our teaching, what we're going to be doing is looking in John chapter 20, and I've entitled this teaching, The Resurrection Changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. You may remember a number of years ago, there was a series of commercials that were put out by Dodge. And the the tagline in them was, we're changing everything. They were saying that, you know, people have been making cars for years, but when we come out with what we're doing, everything has changed. Apple did a similar thing when it was the iPhone 6S. And they said, the only thing that's changed is everything. Well, I want to go ahead and say that both Dodge in what they were doing with their cars in the late 90s and Apple with the iPhone 6S, uh, they were not changing everything. That was incredible amounts of hype. And we hear this oftentimes with marketing, that this really changes everything. And when you get it in reality, it changes very little. But there is one thing that has happened that has actually changed everything. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was raised, it changed everything for the life of the people of God, for now and for eternity. And so we want to take time to look at how this massively affects our worship, our life, uh, how we live in this world and where our future is. So we're going to look at John chapter 20. Verses 19 to 29, I'm going to be using the New International Version, and you can follow along in your Bible. If you're newer to the Christian faith or just checking things out, the Gospel of John is in the New Testament, which is the second part of our Bibles, and it is the fourth Gospel. So this is John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29, and you can follow along as I read. Uh, These verses will be here on the screen. So let's hear the Word of God. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, 
was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, in this text, we see a couple of parallel meetings, two meetings that are described in almost identical terms. And I want to point out what John is recording for us here, what the key points are in the first appearance of the disciples, which is on the day of the resurrection, and then with Thomas a week later. And we'll actually see in Luke's gospel a similar thing. So let's dive in and look. Notice that the resurrected Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And in that first text, in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, we read, it was on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I want to point out seven different things that John points out in this text and then show how the same things are pointed out in the appearance to uh, Thomas. So notice, first off, John tells us this was on the first day of the week. This is Sunday, and it's what became known later uh, in the New Testament times and after as the Lord's Day. Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, all refer to the same day. And this appearance is specifically noted by John as happening on the first day of the week. Secondly, notice that the disciples are meeting behind locked doors. We're told both of these things there in verse uh, 19. The disciples are together and they're meeting behind locked doors. And in this case, John tells us why it was for fear of the Jewish leaders. Uh, the people who had put Jesus to death, they're afraid that they're going to be coming after them. So they're meeting behind locked doors. But thirdly, Jesus suddenly appears to them. He somehow comes through these locked doors. In his glorified state, he's able to just pass through the wall or the doors, and he is suddenly among this gathered group of disciples. The fourth thing is that Jesus pronounces the blessing of peace on the disciples. We're told in this meeting that twice he says, peace be with you. This is giving the, the apostolic benediction and blessing to them, uh, the, the, the one from the Father, and he's saying, peace be to you. Fifth, we're told that Jesus shows them his hands and his side because we're, we're, we're told they're afraid he's a ghost. They, they, they have a hard time believing who he is. 
uh, we'll, we'll see this uh, in, in Luke's account. Luke gives the little fact that they think he was a ghost. So Jesus goes out of his way to show them his hands and his side. He's showing them his wounds. And what he's saying is, this is a literal, physical body. You can touch me. You can feel. I'm not a spirit. I haven't been spiritually raised. I'm not just raised in your hearts. I have been literally, physically, bodily raised from the dead. And so Jesus offers to let them touch him and see that it is him in his body. Sixth, we read that the disciples are filled with joy when they realize this isn't just some kind of a dream. This really is Jesus. He really is alive from the dead. He has conquered death and is meeting there with them. They are filled with joy. And then seventh, we read that Jesus then sends them forth with the message of his conquering death, the message of the gospel and the good news. He tells them, you're going to go forth, and if you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven, and if you don't, they're not. This isn't some special thing that we get to choose whether people are forgiven or not. He's saying, you're going to go forth, and you're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to describe the gospel to them, and we'll see how he'll expand that a little bit with Thomas and in Luke's account. And so, notice there's these seven things there for us. The first day of the week, the disciples are meeting behind locked doors. Jesus appears among them. Jesus speaks the, the benediction, the blessing of peace upon them. Jesus shows them that he's been literally, physically, bodily raised. Six, the disciples are filled with joy. There's a response from them. And then seventh, Jesus says, you're going to take the gospel forward. Now, John then tells us, well, Thomas wasn't actually there. Thomas doesn't meet the resurrected Christ, and he very clearly in those intervening verses says, I'm not going to believe you guys. You all can say this, but I'm not going to believe it. This is important because sometimes people today say, well, these people were gullible back then. They believed things like resurrections happened when we wouldn't. But see, the New Testament is clear. None of them believed at first because they knew just like we know that dead bodies don't get up and walk around. They were very well aware of that. It took convincing for them to understand. And so Thomas is responding that way, saying, I'm not believing what you guys told me. I, I need to know if you're saying he's really raised, I want to see that he's been literally bodily, physically raised. I know the tomb is empty, but resurrection doesn't make any sense to me. So we read in the parallel account, that the resurrected Jesus comes back and he meets Thomas. And notice how similar the words are. As I read along, remember, these are virtually identical to what we just read from the first meeting. So we're told in John 20, beginning at verse 26, a week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, what I want to point out in this text is how the same seven elements are there. So notice the first time they met on the day of the resurrection, which was a Sunday, and we're told here a week later. So it is the next Sunday. And secondly, the disciples are back together again, still behind locked doors. They're still behind locked doors. 
Thirdly, just as he had done a week before, Jesus suddenly appears among them. Even though they're behind closed doors, Jesus comes and meets among them. Fourth, Jesus again pronounces a blessing of peace, just like he had done the week before. Peace be with you. Fifth, Jesus again shows his hands in his side. This time to Thomas, he says, if you want to put your hand in my side, if you want to put your finger in my wounds, here they are. I'm not a ghost. I am real. I have been raised from the dead, literally, physically, bodily. Sixth, Thomas then has a response. The disciples had responded with joy. We're told that Thomas responds in worship and he falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. He proclaims the deity of Christ here very clearly that Jesus is God and Thomas worships him. And then seventh, Jesus says, look, this message is going to go forth. And Thomas, you didn't want to believe. You demanded to see me physically. Blessed are those who are going to hear the gospel going forth and are going to believe even though they haven't physically seen me. So we have the same seven elements. Again, notice it's happening on a Sunday. The disciples are meeting behind closed doors. They're meeting together. Jesus appears among them. Jesus speaks a blessing of peace. Jesus shows that he is literally, physically, bodily raised. He's alive. Uh, there is a response from the disciples. And then Jesus speaks about how the message is going to go forth to others. These same seven elements are in these parallel accounts because Jesus is trying to impress something upon us. Now, it's not just there in John. We can see the same things in Luke chapter 24. Now, I won't take the time to put all of Luke 24 up on the screen. You can read it. But there's the familiar story. You remember after the resurrection in the morning, we read about two disciples who are going down the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to these two disciples, and many of the same elements are there in that appearance. He's, he's opening the scripture to them. He breaks the bread. This is a description of a Christian worship gathering. There's the proclamation of the word. There's the breaking of the bread, which is communion. And suddenly they realize who Jesus is, and suddenly he's gone. So they rush back to Jerusalem, and we get Luke's account of that first meeting. And here's what he says. Number one, he says, it's the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the Lord's Day. Everything in this account in Luke 24 is on the day of the resurrection. So that's the first part. Secondly, the disciples are all meeting together. In Luke 24, 33, we read that they, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. So the disciples are meeting together. Thirdly, Jesus suddenly appears among them. This is in Luke 24, 36. While they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. So we get the third element. Fourthly, Jesus pronounces peace. Notice in verse 36, it continues. He stands among them and he says to them, peace be with you. Then we're told, fifth, that Jesus again shows his wounds, that he's been literally, physically, bodily raised. In verses 37 to 40, we read that they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said them this, he showed them his hands and feet. 
So notice once again, we get this description of Jesus showing this, and he's not doing it just out of some curiosity piece. He's letting them know they think he might be a ghost. They think his spirit may have returned, but he's telling them, no, the resurrection is literal, physical, bodily. It could not be clearer that this is what the New Testament is telling us. And so he keeps saying, look, you can touch me. You can feel me. A ghost doesn't have a body. I have a body. I am here. I am alive. Six, Jesus then tells them the message is going to go forth into all the world. In verses 46 and 47, it says, he told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So notice six of the seven elements we saw in the others are presented there in Luke, and actually the seventh is we're, we're told that Jesus opens the scriptures so they can understand them, which again is a, a, a thing of worship. So we've got these same elements over and over and over again. Now, why are the gospel writers doing this? Why do they want to present these things? Because in other places, the same story is told and a lot of the details are dropped out. Why do they keep repeating these same elements over and over again? Well, the reason is because Jesus' resurrection changes everything. There are uh, at least three major points that I want us to focus on today to look at how Jesus' resurrection changes everything. The first thing is that Jesus' resurrection changed our understanding of life after death. See, Jesus here is clearly presented in every one of these accounts as being literally, physically, bodily raised. The body that went into the tomb that was dead is now raised back to life, and that body walked out of the tomb, and he's there meeting with the disciples. This is not a spiritual resurrection. It's not some kind of a hallucination they are having. Jesus is alive. And this is the universal teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament knows nothing of a spiritual, you know, that Jesus lives in our heart or, you know, his memory is still here with us, nor just that his spirit was raised. His body is raised, death has been conquered. Now, this was essential because, see, the Greeks were looking forward to getting out of the body. They thought where we were going was that our body was going to be left behind. Our spirit would live on somehow, but the body was dead. But Jesus is here proving to us, no, the, the hope is in the resurrection of the body. And the reason this is important is because as humans, you and I were made as body and spirit. We have a material part and an immaterial part. I spoke about this in After Hours last week. You can look that up. It's very important to who we are. And Jesus, who is fully human, he's fully God, but he's also fully human, he lived in a body, he died in that body, and he is raised in that body. That is how he lives. And so this is critical because this message rocked the world. Because this is how Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Death is not the end. And it's not that death is not the end because we're remembered. It's not that death is not the end because somehow we have an immortal soul that will survive beyond it. Death is not the end because we are raised from the dead. We all will stand before God in our bodies someday. Death will not have the last word. 
Jesus' resurrection has changed everything. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection changes everything because I want you to notice this is why worship changed from Saturday to Sunday. This isn't a small point. We have to explain why the early church did this. Jews had always practiced the Sabbath on the seventh day. It's there right in the early account in Genesis. We read that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We read in the Ten Commandments that they were to set aside the seventh day to, for a time of rest and also remembrance of God's deliverance for them. Everything was built around the seventh day. That's what these disciples knew. Yet what we find is Christians from the earliest times worshipped on Sunday. Now, why is this? It's because every post-resurrection account we can read about in the Gospels that were given the day on which it happened, all of them are on Sunday. Jesus appeared over 40 days, and he appeared many times, and there he certainly appeared on days that weren't Sunday. But we're never told what those days are because that wasn't important. But it was important that he regularly kept coming and meeting with his followers Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Notice that we read the disciples are gathered and Jesus comes among them. Notice that there's a lot of ways that both John and Luke could have written this, but they use terminology to remind us of a worship gathering, that the church is gathered together and Jesus comes into the midst of his gathered disciples. This is language which is meant to make us think of a worship gathering. In Luke 24, we read that Jesus explains the scriptures to the two disciples, and then he takes the bread and he gives thanks, and he breaks it and he gives it to them. This is a description that is used for communion everywhere else, and Luke usually refers to communion as the breaking of the bread. It's meant to be a picture of a worship gathering. In John 20, we see Thomas literally respond to the resurrected Christ by falling down and worshiping and saying, My Lord and my God. This is a picture of worship. And we don't have to just take these accounts. We can see in the New Testament it is clearly shown that the early church gathered on Sunday, not Saturday. And we have to think this is a huge change. After a thousand, over a thousand years of God's people having their day of worship be Saturday, it suddenly changed to Sunday. And I'll come back in a moment as to why that is. But notice, for example, here's a few places in the scripture. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we're reading the journeys of Paul, and we read, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. This is the meeting where the man named Eutychus falls asleep, and he falls out of the window and dies, because Paul preached a lot longer than I do, apparently. He kept on talking. But notice what Luke says. It's the first day of the week. We gathered together. Luke includes himself because he was with the group at this point. Thirdly, there is, a, we break bread, which is communion. And fourthly, there is the preaching of the word. This is exactly what he describes with the disciples in Luke chapter 24. This is his terminology. This is the church gathered for worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, uh, we read this. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's talking about the offerings, how they take up offerings that are going to be used for the work of the kingdom. And he says, I want you to do the same thing I told the churches in Galatia to do. On the first day of the week, you're going to set the money aside. Now, why are they doing it then? What, it's not like payday was the first day of the week. Why are they doing it then? It's because that's when the church was gathered together. So they were giving their offering then. And Paul says, that way, we don't have to take up an offering. When I get there, it'll already be together. So when the church comes together on the first day of the week in Corinth, just like in Galatia, just like we read in Acts 20, that's when you're going to take up the offering. The same thing is true even in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle John says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet. The Lord's day is a phrase that is used for Sunday. We're going to see that in some other writings here in a moment. John saying, I was in the Spirit. Even though I'm in exile, I'm in the Spirit. I'm before the Lord. And that's when Jesus comes and he appears to me. So there's this regular thing about worship happening on Sunday. And we don't have to take these references in the New Testament alone. We have writings from the early church to know that this was the practice. And again, I'm going to get to why this is important in a minute. But let me give it just a few notes. Ignatius, who was an early church leader writing uh, around 100 A.D., just after 100 A.D., Ignatius writes to the, the, the Magnesians, a church in a place called Magnesia, and he says this, If therefore those who were brought up in the ancient order of things, which is Judaism, have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, on which also our life has sprung up again by him and by his death. So notice he says, it's no longer the Sabbath, it's now the Lord's Day, the same phrase that John used. And what day is that? It's the day by which our life sprung up. He's speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. We worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. Why? It's the Lord's Day. Why? Because that's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead and gave us new life. Uh, Justin Martyr, another writer, he writes in the middle uh, of the second century, and Justin describes early Christian gatherings, and he puts it this way. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it's the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. For he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, Saturday, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things, which we have submitted to you also for your consideration. So notice, Justin says, we meet on Sunday. And the reason for that, he gives a couple. He says, <coughs> that was the day that actually God made light initially back in the Genesis account, but it's the day on which Jesus rose. And he also then points out, he says, this is also the day that Jesus met with his disciples uh, in, these, in these accounts. He kept meeting with them on the first day of the week. So Justin Martyr tells us they were doing this. Now, this is not just a little argument. Well, do we worship on Saturday? Do we worship on Sunday? I, what I want us to lay hold of here is Christians did this because they're saying, 
the resurrection changed everything. And Christians began to speak of what was known as the eighth day. And they were people of the eighth day. The eighth day being the first day. It's seven plus one. But they're doing that for a very specific reason. Now, why they get this is actually comes out of John chapter 20. In John 20, verse 26, notice the NIV translates it, a week later his disciples were in the house. That's uh, for Thomas. So it's saying it was one Sunday and now a week later on the next Sunday. But the, the ESV translates it eight days later. It's, it's on the eighth day is what's actually happening. And that's what how the Greek actually reads is after eight days. Because in the Jewish reckoning, the, the days are inclusive. So all commentators agree this is the second Sunday. There's the Resurrection day is day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven is Saturday, and then the eighth day is that Sunday is how they are counting the reckoning. And so Christians, therefore, having heard this, began to love to speak of the eighth day. Ignatius, again, that writer we looked at a few minutes ago, notice what he says, to the end for the eighth day on which our life both sprang up again and the victory over death was obtained in Christ. So he says it's on the eighth day that the resurrection comes and we attain victory over death. And he's doing this play on words based on what John's gospel is. Uh, there's a, a writing known as the Epistle of, Epistle of Barnabas. It's probably not written by the Barnabas of the New Testament, but it is a very early church writing. And uh, Barnabas writes this, Your present Sabbaths are not acceptable to me, which is quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament, but that is which I have made, namely this, When giving rest to all things, I shall make a beginning of the eighth day, that is, a beginning of another world. Wherefore also we keep the eighth day with joyfulness, the day also on which Jesus rose again from the dead. So notice the eighth day is Sunday. It is the Lord's day. It is the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. But both Ignatius and Barnabas are saying, and that's when we gather, and the reason we do it is because the resurrection changed everything. Notice Barnabas's language there is, um, that it's the beginning of another world. The eighth day, the day of the resurrection, is the beginning of the new creation. And so Christians began meeting on Sunday each week to remember and to celebrate the resurrection because they're saying in the resurrection, everything changed. It changed so radically. We can't just keep doing what we were doing before. We can't put new wine into old wineskins. Everything, even the way we've worshipped for over a thousand years, it's shifted and it's changed because the resurrection changes everything. Because the resurrection fundamentally changes who we are. We are people of the eighth day. We are people of the new creation. This old world is passing away. There's a new world coming on, and that new world is beginning. Its entrance, its start, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the beginning, not only 
in the past when he spoke and made the old creation. He's the beginning of the new creation, and it begins with his resurrection. So Christian said, we are people of the eighth day because we are part of the new creation. This old world is going to pass away, but there is a new world coming, and we are part of that world. We are citizens of that kingdom. So that's the second thing. Not only firstly is Jesus showing that he was literally bodily, physically raised, and it changed everyone's conception of what life after death could mean. Secondly, it changed when and how worship was done. But thirdly, the resurrection changed the disciples from confusion to uh, and fear to mission. Notice in these accounts how the disciples are confused. All their hopes have been dashed. You can read in Luke 24 and the the guys are wrestling through it. And even though the women have told them that they've seen the resurrected Jesus, they're like, it doesn't make any sense to us. The disciples don't know what to believe. Uh, they are afraid. They are hovering. They are hiding behind closed doors because they're afraid that they're going to be hurt and get in trouble. But when the resurrected Jesus comes to them, everything changes. They worship him. They are filled with joy, and they are given a mission by Jesus to take the gospel out into all the world. The disciples are hiding, hoping no one would find them, but the resurrected Jesus sends them out to the very people they are afraid of. Because now that he is resurrected, now that the new creation is coming on, now that they are people of the eighth day, he is saying, you do not need to fear. You do not hide back here. I'm sending you on mission to the very people who you were formerly afraid of. And so the same thing happens every week as we gather. Hear me, Christian, as we gather each week, the resurrected Jesus meets with us. The resurrected Jesus speaks his word to us. The resurrected Jesus pronounces his blessing of peace upon us. The resurrected Jesus sends us forth in mission, saying, you need not fear. You now have a mission that has come to give you. I fill you with the Holy Spirit, and I send you forth, blessed to be a blessing. And all of this comes from the resurrection, for it changes everything. So how do we apply the word? Well, there's two things, and then we're going to sing a response song. The first question that I want to ask every person watching this is, do I believe that Jesus has truly been raised literally, physically, bodily? Everything hinges on this. If Jesus has not been raised, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, everything that Christians proclaim is false. We're false witnesses about God. We've been lying about this. There is no hope. Death will win. Hear that. It all hinges not just on the idea of resurrection, but on the fact that Jesus was literally, physically, bodily raised. Now, some of you may be watching, and you may not be a Christian. You may say, I just find that hard to believe. Well, you're in good company. The disciples found it hard to believe as well. Thomas, who was not with them, found it hard to believe. 
The Apostle Paul, who I've mentioned several times this morning, found it very hard to believe. In fact, he put people to death for believing it. So you're, you're in company that runs a long way back if you find it hard to believe. These people were not gullible, but Jesus proved his resurrection. He appeared to over 500 people over those 40 days after his resurrection, showing them again and again and again that he had been raised. Friend, hear me. There is no other rational explanation for the empty tomb. It is resurrection or get rid of my brains, turn them off. There is no other explanation that makes any sense at all. All of our other attempts to explain the empty tomb are grasping at straws, and we need not do that. There is an explanation. He has been raised. Every other explanation for the disciples makes no sense. There is no rational explanation for why the disciples go from this fearful band hiding behind doors. They are so afraid, and then suddenly they come out and they are bold, and they proclaim. And Peter and James and John, they, they go from being afraid of the leaders to standing up on the day of Pentecost and saying, you are the ones who put Jesus to death, but God overruled. God raised him from the dead. How do they go from coward to being willing to proclaim the gospel so openly and boldly and even rejoicing when they're beaten for doing so. There is no explanation other than the resurrection. There is no explanation for why not one single apostle ever recanted, even when put to death for proclaiming that Jesus had raised from the dead. They all held to it to the end. No other organization. I, you know, I belonged in the Marine Corps. I'm a prior Marine. We are proud of our past history, but we cannot say that there has never been a Marine who has betrayed and given up and gotten fearful. Every last apostle went to their grave under torture, under death, still stating, he is risen. And there is no explanation for that other than the fact that he has been risen. So, do you believe that Jesus has been raised? I want to encourage and invite you today, believe, embrace, do the same thing. As the disciples receive that message with joy, receive it with joy. As Thomas said, my Lord and my God, fall down in worship to Jesus. He has conquered death, and that's good news for you and for me. Now, the second question for those of us who are Christians is this, do I live in the eighth day? Christian, your life has changed. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, everything changed. When you became his follower, everything changed. Jesus has risen, and he meets with us as his followers each and every week. Jesus has risen, so you need no longer fear. There is nothing that man can do to you. Jesus has risen and conquered every enemy, including death. You need not fear anyone or anything because the resurrection has changed everything. Jesus has risen 
and he speaks God's blessing of peace upon you. This isn't Aaron. It's not me. It's not some other church leader. Jesus himself meets and speaks God's provision and blessing and peace upon you. Jesus has risen, and that means we are people of the eighth day. You are part of the new creation. This whole world, the, the, the sun could pull us too close into its orbit, and the whole world could end in a fiery conflagration, and it would not matter because there's a new creation. You will survive come what may. Not because I say so, not because it's positive thinking, but because Jesus is risen and the resurrection changes everything. Jesus has risen and he sends you on mission. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cower back. You can boldly go forth with the good news that he is risen and everything has changed. And friends, this is true even right now. If you are home and you are quarantined and you can't physically go out, I want you to know you can pray in resurrection power. Take the time. The people you know that have not responded to the gospel, pray for them in the power of the resurrection. The people you love and care for, pray that they would draw close to Jesus in the power of the resurrection. Even if you can't go out physically, you can pick up the phone. You can have a conversation with someone. You can point them towards Jesus, and you can do it with the power of the resurrection. Because Jesus is raised, you and I are on mission. And the day is going to come when you and I are free to go, and we need to carry this news forth. Friends, we don't live in fear. We live with hope. We don't shrink back we go forward. The church is not fighting a defensive thing. We are carrying the gospel forth because the resurrection has happened and the resurrection changes everything. Now, what we're going to do is Renee is going to lead us in singing the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I want to encourage you to sing and to worship because this is what has happened. Because Jesus is raised, conquering death, every chain that has held you, the chains of sin, the chains of despair, the chains of shame and hopelessness, they are all broken off, they are all shattered, and even the chain of death. When you and I lie cold in the grave, the resurrected one will call us and we will rise up because the resurrection changes everything. Let's worship together. Uh, friends, let's pray together, and then we'll have a word of blessing and benediction that I trust Jesus will actually speak over us, and then we will be able to go forth blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, how great it is to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are grateful that he is risen, not just in our hearts or our minds, not in wishful thinking, but literally, truly, physically, bodily. And in that resurrection, he has changed everything. And so, Lord, as we have gathered here watching this on this Lord's Day, Lord, we are grateful that you have called us and blessed us. Lord, we are grateful 
that we are people of the eighth day, that we are people who live in the resurrection, that we don't just have it once in a while, it's not one day a year, but Lord, our lives are shaped by the resurrection. Father, we thank you that as we just sang a moment ago, Lord, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Lord, this is what you have brought to us through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we do proclaim that even if the earth should dissolve like snow and the sun forbear to shine, O Lord God, you have called us here below, will be forever mine. You are forever mine. And this is because of the resurrection. Lord, we are your people. So Father, we pray that this week we would live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Lord, as this world around us seems to be fading, Lord, that you would remind us we have an eternal home and that that would propel us in our life here um, and propel us forward to share the good news with others. Lord, we thank you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And I'm going to give us a word of benediction from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. It's around verses 17 to 21. So receive the blessing of God. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And may you know the power that he has, the power that he exerted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and brought him to heaven where he is seated far above every authority, every ruler, every power, every dominion, every name that can be named in this age and the age to come. May the power of the resurrection fill you this week. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.